This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to today's Bright Focus chat, What's New in Macular Degeneration Research? Our speaker today is Dr. Tim Corson. Dr. Corson is an assistant professor in the Department of Ophthalmology, Biochemistry, and Molecular Biology, and also the Department of Pharmacology and Toxicology at the University at Indiana University. Dr. Corson has also received a Bright Focus Foundation grant to study potential new treatments for macular degeneration. He's going to share his work with you today and answer your questions. I also have with me today our Vice, the Bright Focus Vice President for Scientific Affairs, Dr. Diane Bovenkamp, who will be joining us today to answer some questions and offer some of her insights. Dr. Bovenkamp manages over 150 research grants um, around the world that are supported by Bright Focus. If today's your first time joining us, uh, welcome to the Bright Focus chat. Let me take a moment to tell you a little bit about Bright Focus and what we'll do today. Bright Focus funds some of the top scientists in the world. We support research that is trying to find cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. We share the latest news from these scientists with families that are impacted by these diseases. We have a number of free publications and plenty of materials on our website, brightfocus.org. We also have information on every single grant we support, including that of Dr. Corson's. The Bright Focus chats are another way of sharing this information from the world of research with families that are affected by these diseases. Today, if you want to ask Dr. Corson a question during the call, simply press star 3 and an operator will take down your question. Again, that's press star 3, operator will take down your question and put you back into the call after that. First, let me give you a phone number in case you get disconnected during today's chat. That number is 877-229-8493, and then you'll enter in the ID code 112435. Just let me repeat that again, that number, if you get disconnected, 877-229-8493. And then you enter the ID code 112435. And just one last piece of housekeeping, if you'd prefer to listen to this chat online, you can live stream the call today at brightfocus.org slash live chat, L-I-V-C-H-A-T. And if you happen to be listening online right now, you can submit your questions by emailing chatquestion at brightfocus.org. That's chatquestion at brightfocus.org. Now it's our pleasure to turn to Dr. Tim Corson of Indiana University. Uh, Dr. Corson, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. It's a great pleasure to be here. And uh, before I begin, I'd just like to thank Bright Focus for the very generous support uh, that has enabled uh, some of our research. Great. We are, we are very proud to, to be a part of, of, of such great science. So we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And we're excited to welcome you to the first of a few calls we're going to do this fall about research. At Bright Focus, we frequently get calls and emails from people that are impacted by macular degeneration, a lot of them are looking for some sign of hope that there'll be new and better treatments in the future. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But first, Dr. Corson, can you tell us a little bit about your professional background and experience? Absolutely. So I began uh, as a university student studying molecular genetics and molecular biology, a bit of a mouthful of a major, uh, and went on to do a master's degree in neuroscience and then a PhD in human genetics, uh, at all at the University of Toronto. Um, and during my PhD, I focused on eye cancers, uh, in particular a cancer called retinoblastoma. 
Then uh, for postdoctoral research, I moved to Yale University, where I worked in a lab that uh, looked at all kinds of different disease areas using the approaches of a field called chemical biology, which is using small molecules, so chemicals, to probe biological systems uh, in the hopes of developing compounds that, that could be new drugs. So uh, in my own lab uh, here at Indiana University School of Medicine, I'm bringing some of those chemical biology techniques to bear on problems in eye disease. And we continue to work on tumors of the eye, but we've also developed a, a major focus on uh, neovascular eye diseases, including uh, wet age-related macular degeneration. Well, great. And um, why did you pick... Uh uh, that 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 field, particularly macular degeneration, what what sort of challenges or motivations um, did you have to to take your research in that direction? Well, as you and your listeners know, uh, AMD is one of the leading causes of blindness. It's estimated that there will be 200 million patients worldwide by 2020, uh, and the, the incidence keeps increasing as the global population ages. So obviously it's a major public health concern, and although there are some effective treatments, uh, there are many patients who uh, have very limited treatment options. And so that... Uh, that public health necessity coupled with what I saw as an opportunity for doing some productive research in the area drove me into uh, the AMD field. Yeah, that's no, I appreciate that. I think it's a great point you raised that as our nation and our world's population uh, ages, that these diseases will only increase. And, you know, just to briefly follow up, you mentioned some people don't have um, uh, the treatments that they need. I was wondering if you could sort of elaborate on that or... Uh, as you know, there are uh, very limited treatments for the dry form of AMD, uh, which uh, basically just involves being followed by your ophthalmologist uh, and uh, uh, potentially eating an antioxidant-rich diet. Um, the wet form, which, as you know, is associated for with 90% of the blindness due to AMD, um, there are more treatment options, uh, but they don't work for everyone. So the existing treatments are all a class of molecules called uh, anti-VEGF drugs. So VEGF is an acronym that stands for vascular endothelial growth factor. And what VEGF does is it acts as a stimulus. So um, it interacts with the blood vessel cells and basically tells them to grow. So all the existing drugs work by soaking up the VEGF. So they basically take that stimulus away from cells so the cells are, don't see it and do not respond and, and uh, do not proliferate uh, because, of course, it is this abnormal proliferation of blood vessel cells, which we term angiogenesis, uh, in the back of the eye that is the, the key feature of wet AMD. So, those, uh, please, go on. Yeah, just um, that, that's a great point. What if we just step back just very briefly? People that may be new to this disease, either as a patient or a caregiver, could you tell us just very briefly um, what um, macular, advanced um, macular degeneration is? Absolutely, yes. So um, as I mentioned, and, and as you know, there are uh, two flavors of the disease, the dry form and the wet form. Uh, and the wet form is so-called wet because it involves the formation of new blood vessels at the back of the eye, where blood vessels shouldn't normally be growing in the adult eye. 
Uh, and these blood vessels are, tend to be leaky, uh, so they can cause hemorrhage, so um, spills of blood at the back of the eye, but they also cause disorganization of the very tightly organized structure of the, the retina at the back of the eye. In the macula, which is the center of vision, so uh, when you focus on something, it's the macula of your eye that is picking up those photons and allowing you to see. So what this leads to is development of uh, localized blindness in the center of vision as these blood vessels uh, cause disorganization of the retina and uh, and hemorrhage. Uh, so obviously stopping these blood vessels from growing is a, a key approach for therapy of wet AMD. That's great. Good morning. Um, if you could briefly tell us a little bit about um, the research project that you're working on today and, and um, what you hope it can achieve. So uh, the anti-VEGF drugs that are available, and, and these are um, drugs that uh, you've likely heard of, like um, uh, Lucentis and Ilea, uh, Avastin is also used. They work in uh, in preventing worsening of vision in a majority of patients, but there's still a significant fraction of patients that either never respond to these drugs or respond initially and then uh, stop responding. So their vision uh, starts to deteriorate again after some degree of therapy. Uh, another limitation of the existing drugs is that they are all injected directly into the eye, what we call intravitreal injections, uh, which of course is uh, not the most a uh, comfortable way to have drugs delivered. So there's a need to find new drugs that could be taken uh, by other routes and that work by different mechanisms so that have different molecular effects from the existing drugs. And that was the, the research niche that we set out to explore to see if we could find uh, a new way of targeting the abnormal blood vessel growth that occurs in wet AMD. Great. Um, I understand... Um well, can you tell us a little more? We hear we often hear the concept of combo therapy. I was wondering if you could tell us what that is and why is that important. Absolutely. So, because not all patients respond to these uh, anti-VEGF drugs, um, or they respond and then and then stop responding, it is appealing to be able to combine one of those drugs with a drug that works by a different mechanism to have a, a so-called synergistic effect. So this is like the uh, the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. You know, if um, if you like apple pie and you like ice cream, they're both great on their own. But you combine apple pie and ice cream together, and you've got this incredible flavor explosion. So it's the same kind of logic. If we can take two individually effective drugs uh, and combine them, we might be able to have something that is more effective or alternatively allows us to use lower doses of each of those drugs than we would otherwise, um, potentially reducing side effects. So combo therapy is widely used for a variety of diseases. Uh, it's especially uh, common in cancer therapy and in infectious diseases uh, because you can potentially hit the disease in two different ways, uh, making it harder for the disease to, to bounce back. So we are excited to uh, try to develop new therapies that could combine with the existing anti-VEGF drugs uh, to treat wet AMD. That is fantastic. And I understand it, you know, what you mentioned a few minutes ago um, about people who currently receive therapies um, through an injection in their eye. And I, I think you're exactly right that that's a, something that, that can cause some anxiety in patients. How would um, uh, the the delivery method, what would the delivery method be for, for what you're working on? 
Well, that, that's a very good question, and uh, we don't have a definitive answer yet. This is still uh, research that is very much ongoing. But one of the challenges with the existing anti-VEGF drugs is they're all what we would term large molecules. Um, so these are basically proteins, so um, very heavy on a molecular scale, whereas what we're working on are small molecules, so things that are um, more similar to the, the classic drugs um, that uh, that people think of like uh, aspirin or penicillin, so very small molecules. Uh, and that has um, several appealing features, and one of those is that they tend to be more soluble and more easy to deliver by multiple methods. We are optimistic that the, the molecule that we're developing could be delivered in an eyedrop format, um, although I um, must state that that is uh, speculation right now based on some computational analysis. We haven't actually tested this directly, uh, but we are optimistic that because we're working with a small molecule, we might have uh, that topical delivery option, um, so uh, perhaps something like a once or twice daily eyedrop instead of the, um, the monthly or every six-week intravitreal injections needed with the existing drugs. Wow, that's great. That'll be, that'll be an exciting uh, breakthrough. Um, Dr. Yeah. Rovenkamp, do you want to add to that or ask a question? Yeah, yeah, uh, Dr. Corson. Uh, I know that uh, that we're extremely excited about, about funding your research project, and I know that your research is still ongoing, but could you elaborate a little bit more about, you know, say, the lead compound um, that, that maybe you're using or at least, you know, maybe where you got the idea um, to uh, pursue this, this particular combo drug? Certainly, and you'll have to bear with me because this is a, a, a somewhat uh, circuitous story. Um, we started by, uh, as many research projects do, by combing the literature for interesting molecules that we thought could be a starting point for developing something that could block blood vessel growth in the eye. And we came across a compound that had been uh, isolated from a, a plant species and shown to have effects on blocking the growth of, uh, of blood vessel cells, both in the culture dish and also in um, in animal models. So in collaboration with my long-term chemist collaborator, Song Yong So at Gashan University in South Korea, we synthesized, we made this compound that had previously only been isolated from the plant, and we confirmed that it had the predicted activity in blocking blood vessel growth. Uh, but then we wanted to take things a step further. We wanted to see if we could improve on the, the natural source compound. So we did what's called a structure activity relationship study, or SAR study. This is basically tweaking the molecule, so making small chemical changes to the compound in the hopes of finding something that could block the growth of blood vessel cells, initially in the culture dish, uh, without having toxic effects on other cell types. So we really wanted to find a compound, a chemical, that would profoundly stop the growth of blood vessel cells, which of course are the cells that go on to form the abnormal angiogenesis in wet AMD. But at the same time, we didn't want to find molecules that could just indiscriminately kill cells because they would likely be associated with uh, uh, unacceptable side effects if we used them. So we screened a large number of compounds. We've tested over 200 different chemicals to date. Some of them uh, isolated from uh, natural sources, but most of them synthesized uh, by Dr. So. 
uh, and have found this one compound that we've given the memorable name of SH11037 that is uh, highly, <laughs> oh, that, that is highly selective. <laughs> yes. uh, one day, hopefully, we'll have a, a much more catchy name for it, but r- while it's an experimental compound, that's, that's what we're stuck with. Uh, and we've found that it's very selective and very potent at stopping the growth of blood vessel cells without having uh, negative effects on the growth of other cell types in the uh, from the eye and, and elsewhere in the body so we've done a fair bit of uh, investigation with this compound so as i said initially we were screening just in uh, in cells in a culture dish the, these were human cells but we can grow them indefinitely in the lab so they're pretty far removed from the patient so then we wanted to test our compound, this SH11037, in a whole organism model. So we moved to an animal model and first uh, assessed the toxicity of our compound when we injected it into the eye. Now, I said before that we hope to deliver this compound as an eye drop, uh, but for now, we're testing it as an injection into the eye because we know that that gets the compound where it needs to be, and that's how the existing drugs are delivered. So when we injected this compound into the eye, uh, we saw um, no signs of toxicity by a number of different measures, and that gave us the confidence to test it in an animal model of uh, choroidal neovascularization, which is the even more technical term for the angiogenesis, the abnormal blood vessel growth that occurs in wet AMD. And we were very excited to find that our compound at at fairly low doses um, could quite significantly block the formation of uh, abnormal blood vessels in this model. So that alone was uh, was quite exciting. But then we sought to see, well, can we potentially use this as a combo therapy? Um, So we combined our compound, SH11037, with a a known um, antibody that works very similarly to the existing anti-VEGF drugs, uh, again in an animal model, and found that we could use doses of the two drugs, so our compound and the anti-VEGF therapy, that individually had no effect. When we combined those low doses, we saw a very pronounced effect, as good as the high dose of each one. Uh, really showing that we have this this synergistic combo effect that could potentially be appealing for um, for developing this further as a combo therapy. Well, uh, great. If I just interrupt for uh, the Q and A for one moment to remind people about how they can ask questions, they can press star three at any time to ask a question. And uh, if you're listening online, you can um, uh, add, email a question to chat question at brightfocus.org. And also just want to remind people that Bright Focus offers a number of free materials uh, to help families uh, on macular degeneration. We have one called Macular Degeneration, Essential Facts, and we have another called the Top Five Questions to Ask Your Eye Doctor, and those are available free at brightfocus.org, or um, you could stay on the um, on the line at the end of this call. Uh, Dr. Bovenkamp, did you yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I know I'm like, and we're here. We're totally excited about your your project. The the results are 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 amazing. I did want to just clarify for people on the phone that um, this project is at the exciting experimental stage. So it's not yet been t- tested in clinical trials, 
but um, you know, I, I believe, uh, and Dr. Corson, there's 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 a few more experiments that you need to do before this uh, this could ultimately be taken to the clinic by uh, by by uh, you know perhaps colleagues. Um, yeah, and absolutely. Just to, yes. Yeah. And just just to add to Dr. Borman Kim's comment, one of the questions we frequently get from people who are right focus is why does does research um, you know take a little longer than than uh, non-scientists might think they do. Could you tell us a little bit about um, how a research project goes from that initial idea all the way to um, FDA approval? Like, kind of, how does how does that process work? Well, it's a long process, but it should be a long process. We don't want to be just willy-nilly uh, injecting chemicals into humans uh, <laughs> without re really rigorously studying both the efficacy and the safety first. Um, so that's what the, the FDA's job is, is to make sure that uh, that humans are not exposed to things that either don't work or do work but have um, unacceptable side effects. So it is a very long process. Uh, and it initially starts, as we did, with cell-based studies, so again, looking at cells in a, in a Petri dish in the lab. Uh, and after things looking good in those experiments, we move into animal models uh, where we look at efficacy, as we have done, and safety, which we've done on a small scale. Uh, but the FDA requires extensive safety studies uh, over a long period of time. Uh, and beyond that, there are other more practical questions like formulation, as we talked about. How is this molecule going to be delivered? What is the most effective way for doing that? And at any stage of this process, uh, if things don't look good, the molecule can basically be sent back to the drawing board to tweak the structure of the molecule, and the whole process had to, has to start again. Um, so it's really no surprise that this is a slow process and that, um, that pharmaceutical companies uh, have to invest so much money in bringing um, new therapies to market, even before they reach the human stage. Um, so we are um, we are under no illusion that, uh, that what we're working on um, has, still has a very long, rate, long road to go, uh, but based on the data so far, we are quite optimistic. Well, no, that, that, that's, that's exciting. Also, you know, I appreciate you uh, pointing out the, 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 the challenges and the peaks and the valleys in the, in the process, and, and, and you're exactly right about the um, safety as the top paramount issue. We have a question. Uh, Jacqueline from Maryland was wondering, um, where do these 200 compounds come from that you mentioned? That's a fantastic question, and uh, they've, for the most part, been made by Dr. So, my chemist collaborator. So chemists are the, the magicians of science. They are able to take simple chemical compounds and uh, combine them in new ways to form new molecules, new chemicals that had never existed in the world before. Um, so I, I don't do this myself, so I look on in, in some awe um, at my colleagues who, who do chemical synthesis, but um, that's the way new new organic chemicals, so the kind of chemicals that we usually think of as drugs, are made the world over for all kinds of purposes, be they as drugs or you know, new plastics or whatever. There's a, a chemist in the lab somewhere who is piecing together molecules, um, you know, like, like a Lego set, for instance. You start with a, a, a variety of, uh, of known bricks, and you can put them together in infinitely different ways if you, if you know how to do it. 
Um, so the molecules we've been working with all start with the same basic skeleton, um, but we tweak them in different ways. So we make it a little bit bigger here, a little bit smaller there. We swap out a, a methyl group for a, um, for a hydroxyl group, and these little changes that can quite profoundly affect the um, the properties of a compound, be that how soluble it is, be that how effective it is, or whether it has toxic effects. Uh, so this this process of medicinal chemistry is uh, is a, a long and slow one, but uh, having skilled people who can help with this uh, is absolutely essential in the the drug discovery and development process. Yeah, that's that's really exciting collaborations across different fields of science. Uh, we have a question. Alice from Maryland is wondering. How do you feel about, you know, beyond your own research, the, the overall prospects for, for new treatments um, for patients with, with AMD? Sort of well, beyond I, your own research, how do you, how do you think certainly. about the future? Uh, I wouldn't be in this business if I wasn't inherently optimistic. Uh, science has a lot of ups and downs, and if you, uh, if you focus too much on the downs, uh, <laughs> it can get quite depressing. So, um, you know, I, I see some of the, um, the molecules that are in trials right now, and it's very exciting. Uh, not everything works, of course, uh, but there's a lot of interest in both academia and the pharmaceutical industry in finding new and better therapies for wet AMD. Um, so I, I really am confident that it is only a matter of time before there are some some complements to the, the anti-VEGF drugs available. Well, that's great. Just um, no, I certainly appreciate your, uh, your, your optimism, and, and that's what we try to do at, at Bright Focus is to really invest in in research that that can um, you know uh, really improve people's lives and just just on the the veg for a minute could you just tell us a little bit about um, uh, you know the the the, the medicines you know, the the over the counter I believe these are over am I correct these are over the counter uh, supplements that that people purchase to um, uh, you know. I think they're called are they called VEGF or anti VEGF at the at the so, pharmacy counter. Yeah. So the, the anti VEGF therapies are all prescription only drugs and these are the ones that have to be injected into the eye. So even if they were available over the counter, we probably wouldn't want people uh, self administering them into their eyes at home. But no, these are um these are prescription only drugs um that your ophthalmologist uh, would pr would prescribe. Um there are for the dry form of AMD some um vitamin supplements. Um that in some studies have been shown to help slow the progression of the dry form. Um, but for the, the wet form of the disease, it's the anti-VEGF drugs are the, the so-called standard of care. They're, they're what are used uh, clinically right now. Sure. And I think the, the latter that you mentioned, am I correct that that is, um, this, is that the ARIDS-2 that we hear of? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So ARIDS-2 was a very large study of uh, of these vitamin and antioxidant supplements um, that uh, their, their formulation is now widely available as a, as an over-the-counter supplement that uh, that may be helpful uh, for some sure. dry AMD patients. Well, that's, that's yeah, and I, um, and I know that's a little outside your area, so this would be a good chance to mention the um, the publication that's available for free at Bright Focus called Macular Degeneration Essential Facts. And our Essential Facts brochure um, uh, talks through the details of what's in that ARIDS-2 um, uh, supplemental formula. And that, that's available free of charge at brightfocus.org. Uh, you can leave your name and address at the end of this call, um, and we'd be, we'd be glad to, to get that out to you. Um, we have a question. Uh, Dr. Borvenkip, do you want to add to the... Oh, no. Uh, well, I guess that uh, um, 
Do you think that um, for um, for dry AMD in the future, there could be, um, is there anything coming down the pipeline that you see in clinical trials um, that's the most most promising for that, you know, be it an injectable or not? Um, so I, it's a little bit outside my, my focus area since we focus specifically on the, the wet form of the disease. Um, but I know there are some very exciting research projects coming out of a, a number of different centers uh, in terms of uh, understanding the pathophysiology, so the underlying biology of the dry form of the disease, which um, has um, been a little bit harder to figure out than the, the wet form. We know in the wet form, one of the major features are these abnormal blood vessels, and we know if we can stop that, we can uh, potentially halt the disease. The dry form is a little bit of a harder nut to crack in terms of understanding the biology, but um, there are some exciting things going on that uh, will hopefully translate to, uh, to new therapies soon. Absolutely, and I know that we'll actually be uh, having uh, another call uh, in October with uh, other uh, researchers to talk about about dry AMD. So, so that'll be great. Could could you just take a few moments to um, kind of give your your um, advice on how we as lay people can can help support science and and the excellent research you know done by by innovative researchers such as yourself. There are a number of things that uh, that everyone can do to, to help support science. The first one I would say is, uh, as all your listeners are, be interested and learn about what's going on in the science um, so you can be well-versed when you're talking to your physician. The second, for, for those who are... Um, are interested and willing is to talk to your ophthalmologist about clinical trials. Um, not everybody is right for every trial and not every trial is right for everyone, but there are always being new drugs tested or, or um, new formulations of the current drugs uh, and you can help uh, if you're comfortable with this uh, getting involved in those trials and um, with the hope that your contribution to these clinical trials will help advance the field uh, and uh, help other people, other patients down the road. Um, but of course, that's very much a personal choice. Not everybody sure. is comfortable with uh, uh, being involved with these experimental studies and not all physicians in all centers are uh, necessarily participating in uh, in all these studies. But the other thing that I, as a, as a basic scientist, so as a lab-based researcher, really uh, would encourage people to, to consider is to... Um, keep fighting for increased funding for, for medical research. So uh, as you may know, the, the lion's share of medical research funding in the USA comes from the National Institutes of Health, uh, which is a, a, a government organization that reviews grant applications from scientists around the country and, and around the world uh, and provides uh, research funding for the best of those projects. But with uh, with the current levels of funding, there's a lot of really excellent research that uh, that um, falls below the the line where they are able to to fund people. So um, there are a lot of great scientists out there who just don't have the money to do really exciting experiments that could lead to the next breakthrough. Um, so by talking to your uh, elected representatives and encouraging them to uh, to support increased NIH funding, that's uh, possibly one of the most powerful things that, uh, that any individual can do because this kind of biomedical research is really expensive. Uh, there's just no other way to do it. You know, um, 
And so we need the support of government funding and also foundations like Bright Focus that, uh, that enable the kinds of discoveries that we're working on to happen in the first place and then get moved forward towards uh, clinical deployment. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're always, you know, leaving no stone unturned trying to um, find the, the best research that we can fund. And often a lot of uh, researchers are very happy to receive our funding, um, you know, if they haven't been successful in obtaining NIH funding. And a lot of times the research that we do fund provides the preliminary data that they can yeah. then go and apply for um, for uh, future NIH yeah. grants. So this is great, Dr. Corson. You've done a great job to sort of pulling back the curtain about how science works, and and just, you know appreciate you mentioning clinical trials um, a minute ago. Could you just tell us briefly, like how does a per, a person who participates in a clinical trial how how does that person help advance science? So clinical trials uh, do a number of things. The so-called phase one clinical trial is when a new drug or a new formulation of a drug uh, or a new combination therapy, for that matter, is tested in humans for the first time. Um, and those studies, they really seek to make sure that the, the drug is safe. Uh, and if a drug passes that phase one safety trial, they move on to a phase two trial where that drug is um, compared against a placebo, so um, um, no treatment, or an existing drug to see if it performs as well or better than the existing drug. And so it's that phase two trial that really uh, decides, okay, is this drug um, making a contribution to the treatment of this disease? And for any kind of clinical trial, uh, it's essential to have the appropriate number of patients enrolled in that trial. And statisticians work very hard to determine the optimal number of patients for a given trial, not too many, not too few, so that the outcomes can be um, really um, trustworthy and robust. Uh, so it's important to have people volunteering for those trials who can uh, provide the, the numbers of individuals, uh, and normally there's a need to have individuals of diverse backgrounds, so ethnicities, sex, uh, location in the country, stage of disease, again, depending on the trial. Uh, so chances are any individual patient uh, has some unique characteristic that is particularly useful for, for one trial or another in order to meet their um, enrollment goals. And once those trials are complete, that's what helps to decide if a drug is going to be approved, uh, if a new combination is better than the existing drug, uh, in whether perhaps an existing drug can be used for a, a new indication. So without participation in clinical trials, the whole um, process of drug development kind of grinds to a halt. So it's, uh, it's really essential. And I would certainly encourage anyone who feels comfortable uh, to talk to their physician about getting involved. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you um, shedding light on that because something we get a number of questions on. We're um, reaching the the, uh, the conclusion of this chat, but before we go, um, kind of in that spirit of uh, people participating to help shape future directions, we'd like to ask our listeners a very simple one-question poll that will help guide uh, future Bright Focus chats. It's a very simple question. Um, overall, how would you rate today's chat? If you found this chat very helpful, please press 1. If you found this chat somewhat helpful, please press 2. And if you did not find this chat helpful at all, please press 3. As we, as we wrap up to today's chat, I'd just like to say a very special thanks to Dr. Tim Corson of Indiana University for uh, sharing us 
uh, his sharing his research with us today, telling telling us a lot about um, how a scientist works, and and giving us a lot of hope for the for the future. I'd like to thank everybody who joined the call and submitted questions. And what we do is we put together a transcript of this call uh, that's available uh, free of charge on our website or upon request. And because today we got a number of questions about the um, the ARIDS two uh, <clears throat> supplemental formula, we will include the the details um, on, on on that recommended formula in the in the transcript. So again, um, if you'd like to uh, get a copy of that transcript, please please stay on the line and leave a message. Or if you have any other questions, um, please do the same. About a, about a week from now, we'll have a recording and a written transcript of this call on our website, brightfocus.org. You can also listen to and download past Bright Focus chats on iTunes and SoundCloud. And again, the information that we've talked about today, um, some of the publications, are available free of charge at brightfocus.org or, or stay on the line. Our next chat topic will be answering your questions about AMD. That will be on Wednesday, September 28th. We encourage you to stay on the line to register now. And we'll also be sending you out a reminder email. Once again, this concludes the, uh, the, the Bright Focus chat, and feel free to stay on the line to request copies of the transcript or any other uh, questions. And you can always give us a call at Bright Focus at 1-800-437-2423. Again, that's 1-800-437-2423. Uh, Dr. Corson, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. All right. Thank you, everyone. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.